Welcome to the ATX Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Riley. The ATX Podcast is an interview show with noteworthy Austinites about their lives, their work, and their city. In this episode, I interview James White, founder and owner of The Broken Spoke. During our conversation, James talks about opening The Broken Spoke in the mid-1960s, meeting a red-headed, clean-shaven Willie Nelson a few years later, and The Broken Spoke's place in the city of Austin. All right, James. Well, thank you so much for, for taking some time and, and letting me into the Broken Spoke. It's, uh, it's good to have you on. So I wanted to start... Uh, I, I'm a relatively new transplant to Austin. I've been here for about a year and a half. And the Broken Spoke was one of the first places I heard about when I moved to town. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people who are new to town or have been to town for a long time are curious how in the hell this place came to be. And I know it's been around for, I think, since the mid-60s. Before we get there, though, I'd love to learn a little bit about your family history. If, if I remember correctly from the research I've done, you have a, a sort of a deep family history in Texas. Uh, yes, I do. Um, anyway, you know, that's uh, kind of like what you heard about the Broken Spoke. Um, that's their best, uh, I guess you'd call it an asset or best thing that happens to us, and, uh, word of mouth advertisement. And uh, here lately, uh, we get all the people that come and it's all y'all you know our uber driver our taxi driver our person that we checked in the hotel on the airplane flying in they say hey you got to go to the broken spoke and uh, that's the best advertisement that we could ever get and anymore your know, advertisement is so expensive but um i don't know it's good that uh, i can open up a place here in austin texas in 1964 and it's kind of like it was a neighborhood bar and then the word kind of spread around, and it kept on growing and growing. And now, you know, we're worldwide, and uh, I never expected to be on the Australian bucket list. I never expected to be on the European tour guide. I just wanted to uh, open up a honky-tonk dance hall, and my dreams have come true. And uh, and I this is the life I chose, and uh, it's a full life, and it's an exciting life, and I'm very happy with it, and I'm very happy with our business, and I think probably uh, this year is probably one of our best years ever. Hmm. The year that you started this in in 1964, if I remember correctly, what what was your your perspective at the time in terms of creating a, a dance hall? What what was the scene in Austin? Paint the picture for for people who have recently moved here and see this booming metropolis. What what was going on in Austin in the mid 60s? Well, you know, I was born and bred right here in Austin, Texas. I'm raised here. I got married here. I went to school here. And I had a whole heck of a lot of fun, you know, living my life here in the 50s. And, uh, you know, I joined uh, the Army in uh, 1961. And uh, the day I got out of the Army, I was just thinking, you know, right before I got out, you get thinking, what are you going to do when you get out of the Army? And uh, I I didn't really know for sure, and I always thought it very, but be very neat if I could open up a place similar, using different ideas of the places my parents would take me when I was growing up in Austin, Texas, because when I grew up in the fifties, I mean, when my parents wanted to go out dancing or go out on the weekend, they'd say uh, we're going honky tonk, and they they probably wouldn't ever even say the name of the place. Uh, I knew there was, there was no, um, it was a beer joint down there on uh, oh, Barton Springs Road in South First called um, Johnny's Place. 
And uh, we used to go there a lot. It was kind of a bar similar to what the front of the Broken Spoke is today. We could go in there and get you a cold beer and we could drink soda pop. And we were young and my parents said they would actually my daddy, my stepdad and all they they drank beer, you know. But my mother, she never really drank that much. And my stepmother never really drank that much either. But um, anyway, um, it was a fun time and uh, people were good to me and so that's some of the ideas of the front part of the Broken Spoke I used from uh, places like Johnny's Place. And there was so many different honky-tonks and dance halls that when I went to them, you, you always kind of keep it in the back of your mind, you know, how much fun you had there or maybe one thing you might want to change about it. But um, any, all in all, uh, <clears throat> I literally came underneath that big old oak tree out there on South Lamar. 1964, and I visualized a place like no other. And when I got it built, uh, I named it the Broken Spoke. So I'm, I'm the owner, I'm the builder, I'm the name giver. But I couldn't do it today without the help of my wife Anetta. She's kind of working half the family, and I'm cho- I'm in charge of BS and PR, and that's <laughs> that's the way we want to keep it. You know? <laughs> we ain't changing nothing. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned Johnny's Place, which I think you said it was on South First. So the Broken Spoke, for those who haven't been here, is two to three miles from downtown on South Lamar, right outside of downtown Austin. At that time in the mid-60s, what what did what was this part of town looking like? It's surrounded by new apartment complexes now, but back in the day, what, what was the scene like here? Well, actually, when I built the Broken Spoke, there wasn't another building in sight. So you can just stand in there, park lot and look around. And you can imagine back in those days uh, where the Broken Spoke is today, it was uh, just a place where I think they had a horse over here and had a about a rundown looking old barbed wire fence. And uh, the city limits was a mile down the road in front of uh, where El Rancho is today. And uh, they had a beer joint down there uh, called the Lone Oak Beer Joint. And uh, beer was 25 cents a bottle. When I opened up, it was beer was twenty five cents a bottle. We sold, uh, I sold pop beer as fast as I could pop it, two in each hand. And uh, some people they said, "Well, how'd you get so famous?" And I said, "Well, you know, it ain't nothing to it. I said, all I gotta do is work about seven days a week and sixteen hours a day, and uh, and then after about thirty years, you became famous. You know, <laughs> just piece of cake falls in your lap. <laughs> just something that happens." Oh, but it, it it was fun. I mean, back in them days, um, the people in other states, they didn't know where Austin, Texas was, but they know where it is today, but they didn't know about it back in them days. Um, people would say, oh, yeah, I'm going to New York. I'm going to Vegas. I'm going to, to New Orleans. But now we get people from all over the world that come to Austin, Texas, because they know they can have fun here. They know there's a lot of stuff to do. And a lot of outdoor, a lot of indoor things to do. And um, we have uh, more bachelorette parties these last two and three years than it seemed like we've ever had in our life. <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, yeah, anybody who lives here, I think, has seen the bachelorette uh, extravaganza that's been going on in Austin. Um, when, when, when it first opened was, did it look like it looks now? And for those who haven't been here, right, there's this bar and dining area when you first enter and then a dance hall in the back was the design pretty much exactly the same in the, in the festivities the same, or was it a different experience at that time? Well, see when I opened, 
I was actually in the county. The city limits of Austin was all around me, and uh, that's why I could build a place that had a little character to it, a little heart and soul to it. And uh, now all they want is plastic, phony baloney, you know, no frills. Everything looks the same in a strip center. you got to have the same sign. you got to have the same building. And I always believe that a honky-tonk is supposed to be uh, a building that stands by itself, not joined to nothing else but a honky-tonk. And you should have a dirt parking lot. I tell people, I said, hell, if I... If I want to pave my parking lot, I'll pave it with beer caps. <laughs> but the city of Austin, over the years, they tried to change me, and they just about changed it, but I still have a dirt parking lot out front. I had the city of Austin call me up one time, and they said, well, uh, Mr. White, this so-and-so with city of Austin, and I understand you don't have no uh, stripes on your parking lot out front. I, said, I told him, I said, why in the hell would I stripe a dirt parking lot? And he said, Oh, you have a dirt parking lot? And I said, yeah. And so he said, well, just forget I called. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how. And and same way is, how did I get to build it like this? It's just that I was in a county, and I don't really ever, I've never had a set of what I would call blueprints to build a broken spoke. I had a simple little sketch of some sort. And uh, I uh, built the front of the broken spoke. That was back in 19—I started this time of year, September 25th. I was opened up November 10th, which is unheard of in Austin, Texas today. You got It takes you about two years to get off the drawing board to even start construction. But anyway, I did it my way, and uh, I had a lot of help. A lot of people volunteered, and it's kind of like you raise the hood on your car, and all the mechanics come over, and they want to help you fix it. Same with the— Building the building back in them days, you you get your hammer and nails, and people start coming by. And here, so let me help you hold that board. And before you know it, you got a lot of free help. And it's all drinkers, and none of them had squares or levels. And that's why the broken spoke kind of has the work of itself in charm. That's probably why my roof leaked for twenty five years. <laughs> but anyway, uh, there's all drinkers, but they became my customers once I got open. And I did have one roofer fall off the roof because he was too drunk, but he <laughs> crawled back up on the ladder and got the roofing again. <laughs> and that's probably why it's leaking. <laughs> when it when it did open, what was the scene? Uh, what was it like? I mean, it sounds like you know you you had maybe some customers right away. What who were the people who were coming here when it first opened? Well, you know, there's you know uh, just kind of regular country people i mean i had beer 25 cents a bottle premium beer slits budweiser and miller high life was 30 cents and we sold a setup which was a glass of ice and a small coke or small seven up it wasn't nothing fancy hmm. and people would bring their own bottles in that wanted to drink whiskey or gin or vodka or whatever and uh that's what they would drink either you know bourbon coke or bourbon seven and uh if they had three or four inches of whiskey left in the bottle, they just said, well, hell, ain't no sense to take it home. Let's just drink it. So that's what they did. And so when they got mixed beverages out here, uh, that's probably a good deal because it creates uh, less uh, down and out, downright people that had too much to drink. But mm. anyway, that was in 1980. I got mixed drinks. Mm. And uh, it's the same thing as when I went up 
to 30 cents a beer after a couple of years. I was selling a beer four for four for a dollar. People would slap a quarter on the table and then say, bring me a beer. And when I went up 30 cents, good God, you think the end of the world had came, you know. And, but after a while, after that first time, they never really griped about it anymore. And uh, so we just kept on rolling. And I built the first part of the Broken Spoke, which is kind of our dining area, but we do have bands up here. Mm. And then uh, the following year, I added a dance hall in the back. And then the year after that, in 65, 66, I enlarged, I doubled the size of the dance hall. And then I added a, a game room, which is over here. Yeah. And then uh, since then, uh, I haven't done anything. So I'm grandfathered on a lot of things, but I'm still up to code. There was a whole lot of stuff we did at the start that, you know, we passed all these inspections. But the only thing that I had to worry about originally the original inspector was uh to please the health department he wanted to see my septic tank being built and that's about it and um anyway but it since then i mean we've had all these different inspections then you have to have a different inspection when you get mixed beverage and so we're all up to date and we've all got their panic bars and emergency area exits back here and all the power lights and everything that I don't know, I had to end up putting another roof over the existing roof because the fire department, they didn't like it because they had holes in the ceiling and, and, the, and, the, and the roof was leaking. <laughs> but they, I said, well, that ought to help put the fire out, but they didn't see the humor in that. So, so I had to put another roof over. I mean, it cost me about $100,000, but anyway, I lived through it, you know. <laughs> I'm still here. I'll, I'll be up there bartending. And I had people come in, and they'd say, well, hell, you don't know what the hell you're doing, so you won't last six months. And that's 55 years ago. I'm yeah. still here. <laughs> <laughs> when you put the dance hall in, uh, it sounds like the within the first year or two of, of opening the place, was it always a two-step dance hall, or was it what, what was the dancing scene like at the time? Uh, it's always been country music. And uh, we even had dancing up front here, right where our pool table is today. We used to pushed that table to the side and I had a band on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Mm. And the Friday night band got 25 bucks. Travis and the Westerners. Saturday was Bill Dorsey and the Melody Drifters and they was $35. Mm. And for some unknown reason, the Sunday band, D.G. Burroughs and Western Melodies, they wanted uh, $32. Where they came <laughs> up with that, I don't know, but that's what they wanted. And, um, we used to pass the kitty to kind of offset the different prices because you got to sell a lot of beer at 25 cents a bottle to even pay for the band. Yeah. But anyway, they would get to dancing out here and it would be full wall to wall people and they'd be sitting in on beer cases and run out of chairs. And it was just, um, it was fun back there. It was a learning experience for me. And uh, I, uh, I treasure the memories of the 60s. At the Broken Spoke. Mm. This place is covered in memorabilia and photographs of people who have played here and, and legends in the country music industry that I, I assume most or all of them have been to the Broken Spoke. When did that start? When did you begin to have, 
you know, Texas musicians or, or others from outside the state come in and, and really begin to create a name for yourself here as a place to come to? Well, you know, we kind of was kind of like a neighborhood Cheers out here. <laughs> and uh, somebody asked me, said, oh, do you watch Cheers on TV? I said, hell, I've been living the country Cheers for years. <laughs> and uh, I hadn't got time to watch TV because everybody's always saying, give me a beer, do this, do that. <laughs> and so I don't get, really get to watch too much TV up here. And uh, then when, when I do get interested in a football game or something, I mean, people want to talk. And that's what they come out there. And uh, that's kind of... That's kind of my job. I'm in charge of BS and PR, <laughs> and my wife is working half the family, and, and we ain't going to change nothing on that one. <laughs> but, you know, it's just that, I don't know, it's just fun, and uh, you got to kind of, whatever hurdle you have to jump through, you got to do it. And there's always new rules and regulations, and, you know, we're just kind of tax collectors for the government, and I should say unpaid tax collectors for the government. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, you got to pay your bills, and um, and that's what we do to to keep on keep on doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know the the names that I've learned about that have been through here, George Strait, Willie Nelson, many many others. Um, when when those people first got to the Broken Spoke, were they anyone anyone outside of the Broken Spoke would have known about before? Were they already little celebrities within this world, or not really? Well, you know, you asked me um, when we became famous. Um, it's just that I think the bands, they help us. They travel around and they kind of spread the word. And they say, hey, when you come to Austin, I'll be playing at the Broken Spoke. And uh, or they'll say, oh, you want a country dance hall band bar? You go see the Broken Spoke. And uh, it's the same thing with our chicken fried steak became famous um one time ago, I mean, we had a lot of advertising about chicken fried steak, but uh, we're kind of a honky-tonk with food, and we have very good food, and we serve very big parties out here, and it helps get them because they can come out, they can learn how to dance, they can, we can offer dance lessons, we can offer good country music, we can offer them uh, the best in uh, barbecue plates or chicken fried steak. But Ellie Rucker, she's a writer for The Statesman, and uh, one time somebody asked her, you know, what's a chicken fried steak? So she said, well, you just go south on Lamar and turn in 3201 South Lamar, and you'll find out what a chicken fried steak is. And my wife said she about worked herself to death that night. <laughs> she had to cook up about seven boxes of chicken fries and her, I think about 35 cutlets to a, to a box. And we served a bunch. I mean, we hand bread them to order. We double bread them. And it's just uh, uh, its own art. And the gravy, always cream gravy. And my wife, she's the one that she's the master of making the gravy. It's kind of something that's handed down to her through her family. Hmm. But it's just the bands uh, that I booked in the 60s, I started getting better bands when I opened up the dance hall in the back. I say better, it's just more well-known and, uh, but I was bartending and somebody, they said, well, who you got playing tonight? And I was real proud because, um, uh, I tell them I got Bob Wills tonight mm-hmm. and they didn't believe me. And of course they, they're, I'm young, I'm 25 years old and they're seasoned bar drinkers. They're probably in their fifties. But anyway, uh, I just got thinking about it. I said, you know, when I grew up, 
Bob Wills was a household name in my house. Hmm. And everybody knew about Bob Wills. And everybody was, would try to imitate him. Uh-huh, take it away, boy, take it away. You know. And anyway, so the first big storm I ever booked here, 1966, was Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys. And the people at the bar, they said, they told me over and over, Bob Wills ain't going to be here. He's drunk. He's chasing women. <laughs> he's in the hospital. He's sick. He, he's ain't going to be here. And about that time, the front door opened up, and in walks Bob Wills. He got a cowboy hat on, cigar in his mouth, and fiddle on his arm, and he came to play. And so I went over there. It was a proud moment for me because the drunk started punching herself <laughs> and whispering, man, that's Bob Wills. And most of them guys, they'd never seen Bob Wills anyway. Yeah, you know, yeah, but, yeah. But they seen him at night. And uh, I got a proud moment. I'll never forget him. I walked Bob Wills up on the bandstand. And since then, we started getting other stars. Uh, a young redheaded stranger named Willie Nelson first played here in 1967. Willie Nelson and the Record Man. He was clean shaven, short hair, wore a vest, sports coat, and uh, he's always dressed nice. And, uh, but he still, he had a song about Mr. Record Man. He used to be a DJ years ago. But anyway, I started booking Willie. And I had Bob Wills here in 66, 67, 68. And then he, he, he really did start getting sick after that. And, um, he passed away in 1975. Hmm. That's when I booked the original Texas Playboys at the Broken Spoke. Hmm. And I got the chance to book them because Austin City Limits wanted them on their show and they couldn't have them unless they made some money while they were here. Because mm. these guys didn't have no money. They had jobs that didn't pay that much. So we charged five bucks a person. I had 500 people that night. Wow. So I got to give them $2,500. And that's how... Playboys got revived over being at the Austin City Limits the next night at the Broken Spoke. Mm. And Alvin Crow and the President Valley Boys opened up for the Playboys that mm. night. Mm. Incredible. That clean-shaven redhead you mentioned, <laughs> Willie Nelson, who first who first came in here, I, I think you mentioned in the 60s. What was it like for you to watch the ascendancy of his career? And, and how, how did he change, if at all, in, in you knowing him over the years? I, I don't think Willie's really changed as far as talking to him. I mean, he, he's older, and uh, but he's still kind of the same old Willie, and I can talk to him. And he, he's, he's, he's a comical person. He likes to tell jokes and talk, and he's always nice to people. And, and it always astounds me that he can stand up there i've seen him in a crowd like hundreds of people around him and he couldn't even move but it, it doesn't bother him being around big crowds mm. and uh it's a heartfelt thing that to think that you know we paid played some small part in him being successful i like to see all the bands that play here go on to be bigger and better than what they are sure and I, I hate to see them when they get so popular that they never 
come back again, but Willie, he still comes back, and he still likes the broken spoke, and yeah. he still mentions the broken spoke, and his family comes out here, and we're sitting right there at the Willie Nelson booth right here, B2, right by the pool table, and this is where he was um, talking to Annie, his wife, his present wife, and uh, they were going together at the time. And then behind me, this booth, is where Mom and Pop Nelson used to come for lunch a lot. They ran Willie's Pool Hall down the street on the left, right where the intersection goes in Manchac and Lamar. Mm. Willie had a pool hall, mm. and he let his friends run it, or he let Mom and Pop Nelson run it. Mm. But I, I look back, and you talk about Willie on... Um, Way back in 1975, South, in 1973, I started booking Alvin Crow, Asleep at the Wheel, and Feeder and the Fire Dog, who went on to be Marsha Ball. But they, she called herself Frida at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, I look at those years, and then I look at 1975 in my mind, and uh, Alvin Crow called me up on the phone. And he said, um, there's a good little band from San Marcos going to open up for me. And uh, I'm going to be late because I got a wedding job, but I'll be there about an hour late and I'll take over. And um, the opening band's name was Ace and Hole. And the lead singer was George Strait. Hmm. And I liked him. So I started booking him once a month at the Broken Spoke. I booked him for seven years. Wow. And he went over to be like Willie, super iconic as far as you can go about being popular and successful. And but <clears throat> he came back and kind of paid us all back by uh, coming to Broken Spoke and putting us on his album cover this year. Wow, Honky Tonk Time Machine, picture of Broken Spoke, and he got a song in there about. Every little honky tonk bar, and it kind of ties in with the spoke. And he also put on his Facebook, like the sign we got out there about George Strait's honky tonk hangout. Yep. And he also came out, spent the day with us, and I got to walk around and kind of do a halfway interview, kind of talk about history of the spoke, which he knew about it, but he's hadn't. It's just something that he's so popular that. He was kind of afraid to come here, afraid the women might attack him. <laughs> <laughs> and they probably would. But anyway, he came out, no uh, no security. In his tour bus, it was the, the driver and George and his wife, Norma. And uh, they spent the whole day here. They did an interview, walked through. We had a big photo shoot. And it was very touching because... The first thing he did when he came in, he said, well, hello, Mr. White says, good to be here. And I said, you ain't changed too much around here. And I said, we ain't changing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> what was he like when you first met him? George Trey? Yes, sir. He was, um, he's never been real talkative, but when he gets up there and sings, he just sings one hit after another. Mm. He doesn't do, um, any jokes type thing or 
or all the stuff like Garth Brooks got a different personality. Garth Brooks is a good person himself. I enjoyed having him here, but you know, he'll run around the stage and a lot of energy. But George just goes from one song to the other and sings hit after hit after hit. And he's got a certain uh, mystique about him that he don't let Nashville run his life. Mm. And whatever he's, the way he's doing it, he's doing it right. Yeah, yeah. They know how to do it. And he likes to go hunting. He likes to be in a cowboy. He likes his ranch. And he likes to go fishing. And so, uh, and, and hunting also. But he was very nice. He's always a good guy. Very good. Hmm. And how about Willie? When when you first met Willie, what, what was his personality like? What do you recall from meeting that fresh-faced young man all those years ago? Well, um, Willie's very good. And, um, you know, I, I get along with all the bands that come out here. I mean, you figure over 99% of them are just good old country boys. And um, they kind of remember where they came from. And, uh, you know, every now and then you might meet, meet one that's maybe not as friendly as the other one. But Willie's always been overly friendly. And that's part of his success. You know, it's just... Uh, Something you gotta have. You gotta, you know, be able to touch the audience. You gotta be able to talk to them. And um, but Willie's always been very good at that. But I remember um, the night Coach Rawl came out here before Willie moved here, and uh, he said, "I want to meet Willie Nelson." So I went over and got Willie. I said, "Hey, uh, Coach Rawl wants to talk to you." And so I took him over, and they talked a little bit. And then I guess Willie had to get ready to play th that night. And anyway, the next time I seen Coach and uh, his wife, Edith, I said, well, I see uh, Willie and uh, and Coach Royal was hit it off good as friends. And she said, I guess they are friends. Said they stayed out till 6 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so, so when they left out together that night, they went out talking, talking about songs, talking about football, talking about life in general. And uh, Coach Wall was a big country music fan. Yeah. Very big. And um, back in 1990, my wife and I, we were kind of getting kind of tired of the way the IRS was doing Willie Nelson. Mm. So uh, I thought, what the hell are we going to do about it? And so uh, I said, well, you know, I'm just going to, Get a gallon deal pickle jar. I'm gonna put on the sign. Well, there's a Willie, there's a way. I'm gonna put it on my bar, and people put some money in it, and I'll send it to Willie. Of course, he owed sixteen and a half million dollars. <laughs> but anyway, for uh, for those who don't know that story, what 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 is that? What what's the what's the reference there to to him owing sixteen million dollars to the IRS? Oh, that was on a, his tax problem, and uh, he had Price Watergate did his taxes. And evidently, they didn't do them the way Willie wanted them to do them, or maybe they didn't do it, do it correctly. And and somebody was at fault, but I, I don't think it was Willie. He wasn't at fault because the money don't really mean that much to him. He just likes to entertain yeah. and ride on his bus and play his guitar and sing and entertain people. But anyway, <clears throat> they hit him up for $16.5 million. And so... Uh, they came out and they took all his pictures off the wall. 
They took all his gold records. They took all his family pictures. And we didn't think it was right, so that's what we did. And then uh, Associated Press came out here, and they said, well, well, actually, the Austin paper came out. said, would you mind getting your picture holding that jug in front of the spoke? And I said, that's fine with me. And so that's what I did. And uh, then they went ahead and said, do you mind if we put this on Associated Press? And I said, yeah, go ahead. And so then I started getting phone calls from all over the world. And like CNN, Fox News, Paramount Theaters, and and all the reservations in the country. And people started sending money to me and Willie Nelson at the Broken Spoke. And the radio and TV people, they couldn't figure out how a, a bar named The Broken Spoke could ever raise $16.5 million. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, I just wanted people to be aware that he didn't really have it in his back pocket. Yeah. And uh, But some of those, I, I think one late night, I was drinking a few beers, and that guy from Rhode Island called said, what the hell is a broken spoke? <laughs> and I said, well, I'll tell you what, we got cold beer and good whiskey and good girls to dance with. So what else do you need? You know? <laughs> and he liked that approach. <laughs> I said, we ain't got no hanging fern baskets, no gray poupon, <laughs> no Pierre water, but this is what we do got. <laughs> <laughs> As time went on with this, with, with this place and you know, you've, you've had so many legends. Oh, wait, I forgot to tell you Please that. go ahead. Almost Christmas time, Willie, after we did a fundraiser for him, he sent me a call me up on the phone. He said, um, he said, Willie, I'm over in Hawaii. That's one reason why we wanted to raise the money because we wanted him back from Hawaii. We didn't want him. We wanted him in Texas. So <clears throat> we sent him the money. He said, I got the package you sent. So then he said, um, well, um, I'm going to come home for Christmas. I want to come by the Broken Spoke, eat a chicken fried steak, drink a cold beer, do a little picking, and I'll bring some of my friends with me. Mm. And that's when he brought Chris Christopherson. I see. And a multitude of other people. It was one of them nights you never forget. And that's been almost 30 years ago, but it seemed real fresh in my mind. Yeah. Was Christopherson at that time largely an unknown or was he, was he as? No, no, he was well known then. Yeah. Yeah, he's a natural actor, gifted songwriter. And uh, he's not much on the singing part, but everybody likes to hear him sing. <laughs> kind of like Earl Campbell's a football player. He can't sing that good, but everybody likes to hear him. Sure. <laughs> How about as time went on, it, and, and this became more and more of a staple in Austin, um, were you reluctant to keep it basically the same as it was in the 60s? Did you ever think about... I don't know, expanding or, or making this a, a, a bigger, uh, a bigger thing than it is right now. Or did you always just want to have a singular place that was your own honky tonk? Well, you know, I think the size of the place is just about right. I mean, we have bands, uh, Tuesday through Saturday, Saturday's their big night and, um, uh, Friday's good. Tuesday's good. And a lot of time we do private parties on, Sundays and Mondays, and believe it or not, our load capacity is 
661 people. Wow. Not that we get that many people all the time, but I drew it up on a simple little diagram because I didn't know what the hell damn load capacity card was, you know, (laughs) but I drew it and I sent it to him. And, um, I thought they wanted me to count the chairs, which I did. And it was 525. Yeah. And, um, they said, Oh no, you got this huge dance floor. You got this game room back here. You got tourist trap room. So we're going to give you 661. I said, well, I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I did. So sometimes we do get that number, and uh, but it's a place where the spoke you can put 150 people back there, and it doesn't look vacant. Yeah, you don't want a place so huge that if you put 100 people back there, people say, "Where in the hell is everybody?" Right, and they like it. They like it 100 people. They like it, you know, three, four hundred, you know. Yeah, and. Uh, what usually is okay um what do you hope for the future about for for the broken spoke it's been around for you know 50 years what as you look into the future for the next you know 20 30 40 50 years what what's your what's your hope of what this place will mean to austin and what this place will mean to texas i don't know it seems like it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and better and um people when they come to texas they want to see a part of Texas that they they think it should be like, and when they walk through that front door, I mean, right now you got hectic Lamar, and you got apartments all around you, but you don't you don't see it right now. You see a, a place that serves beer and food, mixed drinks, and you have a band, and that's what they see. It's kind of like going to the Alamo. You don't see those big buildings once you go inside, and you can feel it. I don't know what it is, but it's the charm. It's the ambiance, whatever you want to call it. It's got character. And um, I I never did want to change anything. And um, a lot of the bands, if, over the year, years ago, they'd say, oh, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And I said, well, you know, uh, I don't want it to look like a discotheque type <laughs> place, you know. And, and I don't want no boutique look here, you know. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's... um. I know when Jerry Jeff Walker comes in here, he sits at that bar, and he said, the next house I'll build, I'm going to build it just like the, the inside of the broken spoke. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's about the way I feel. And um, I don't believe in changing nothing. I, Austin, Texas has changed enough, but uh, it's still a place that I'll always be here. And um, as long as I'm here, the broken spoke will say just like this. And... You know, my wife feels the same way, and so does my daughters. Yeah, yeah. As you look back at, at your your whole, um, you know, the majority of your life working at the Broken Spoke and, and making sure this place is running, what are some stories or some just reflections that you have that are you love to reminisce about or talk about? Or are there any, um, you know, anecdotes from your own life or stories from your experience here that you love to talk. We talked about George Strait and Willie Nelson. Is there, is there anything just generally about the place you, you like to like to talk about? Well, you know, I like to state the fact that, um, you know, I've been here 55 years and there's nobody ever have been in as long as this business than I have. Mm -hmm. 
in this particular type. They might run a grocery store, a hardware store, or something like that, but or building business. But that's a long time to be in the honky tonk. And when I grew up, I thought. You know, you work 20 years, you retire. <laughs> but, you know, I passed that long time ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, like Willie said, well, uh, well, what what, what, what work are you, what work are you think, are you talking about quitting? You know, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it's not work to him. And it's enjoyment to me to come down here. And, you know, a lot of times, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of jack of all trades. I'm, I kind of band-aid the broken spoke back together. And there's always something that I can fix. And there's always something. And uh, anyway, it's just, there's all kind of things happen over the years that, uh, you know, sometimes the, the longer you stay here, you know, uh, you don't think they're, maybe they're not as funny as what it was. But I don't know. Uh, I remember when the hippies come to town in the 70s, and um, we did a fundraiser for Lloyd Doggett the first time he ran for office. Yeah. And at the time, the only ones that would have draw hippies out here would be uh, people like Freedom of the Fire Dogs, Sleep at the Wheel, or Alvin Crow. But on that particular night, it was the first time that Lloyd Doggett had run for office, I think as state representative. And uh, we raised, uh, had 500 people, and the hippies drank a lot of beer. <laughs> and I've never had long hair or beard in my life. And, uh, but they never caused no trouble. But we did have to teach them how to dance because uh, they were uh, doing what we call the, the hippie hop. You know, they were, most of them didn't have no shoes on. And they'd go around in a circle. It looked like a hoedown, like a hillbilly. <laughs> but anyway, we did teach him how to do the Texas two-step. And uh, that that was kind of funny. You, you think about it because we used to like to watch people come in. And sometimes we le- used to kind of like to watch them leave, you know. <laughs> I mean, one woman came in here with all dressed up, perfect hairdo, dressed just immaculate. And... Uh, <clears throat> We had a customer named Randy, and Randy did a fast twirl, twisting type dance, kind of jerky. And uh, after he danced with her, we told Randy that we might have to get you to sign up, get them girls to sign a waiver for the dance with you, because uh, that poor woman, she, he broke her fingernail, <laughs> he messed up her hairdo, popped a couple of buttons off her blouse, I think, and <laughs> just for twirling, she was just all dizzy when she finished up, you know, but and when she walked in, it was all prim and proper. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that, that was kind of funny. And I remember one year, way back in the 60s, we had a hair pulling, two women out in front of our bandstand. It was a blonde and a redhead. And they pulled each other's hair off, and the blonde was really a redhead, and the redhead was really a blonde. You know? <laughs> and, but it's just... Something you, you think back at different things that happen, you know. It, it's very funny. I had this one old drunk went here one night, and he said, well, I can out foot race you. And I said, no, you can't. He said, we'll go out in the parking lot. And so the one guy, 
He's out in the parking lot, and he took his pants off. <laughs> then the other guy was in here, and he's wearing cowboy boots, so he kicked his boots off, took a knife, and and cut off half of his blue jeans where he'd have shorts on. So they went out there in that raw gravel, and they, back in them days, $100 was a big bet. Sure. So I bet 100 I can outrun race your foot racer. Then we had another drunk named Grouchy, he, uh, his bunky grumbles were racing and Dutch Glottinger and Grouchy, he was the one that starts it off. Well, Grouchy was a good fan of Dutch. So the first race, Bunky won, but Grouchy said, no, come on back. It's a bad start, bad start. You got to start over again. <laughs> and by then, their feet was all bloody. And then they started off again, <laughs> and then it was a, a tie. So then they, they fell in the dirt, and one of them had underwear on. He was rolled around the gravel and everybody in the barn went out to watch the race and so then the last race i think the one guy just dived across said win but i mean that, that was a hell of a race <laughs> <laughs> last question i want to ask you if if there's somebody listening to this that is interested in creating you know some something similar to what you've been able to build here a, a bar that's becomes the staple of a of a city somewhere and wants to work on it for decades of his life what advice would you give someone like that who's who's interested in getting into that line of work and and creating it something that's meaningful and long lasting well i think in any business um you got to kind of be married to it and um every day every night i go to sleep i'm thinking about the broken spoke and every morning when I wake up, I'll think about the broken spoke. Mm. And it's something, that, it's like a 24-hour job. And you got to really be dedicated. You got to love what you do. If you don't like it, you know, you, there's no way you could last that long and just be upset all the time. But I'm very gifted that um, that people uh, bless me and um, let me uh, run the broken spoke. And uh, along with my, with my daughter, she does dance lessons out here. My other daughter, Jenny, she helps with um, the book work and posting and Facebook. But anyway, it's a, it's a family affair. And never think about going to some family reunion on Saturday night because you're going to have to be at the Bogan Spoke. Yeah. I got married on a Thursday so I could be at the Grand Ole Opry on Saturday night. That was 1966. My wife, Annette, and I had our wedding reception out here. And we told our daughters, if you get married, if you want us to be there, you know, you better get married on Thursday because <laughs> we're going to be at the Spoke on Saturday, <laughs> unless it's the Grand Ole Opry. <laughs> James, thank you so much. This was wonderful. Enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the ATX Podcast. For more information, follow the show on social media. Its handle is The ATX Podcast and on the show's website, theatxpodcast.com. <laughs>